each meaningless thought The shell appears strong, but the inside is right It's time to be stirred, the time is now The winds have changed, read the signs No time to hide, the winds have changed Millennia ago from the little cave on the tiny island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, the heavens opened. Since then, the world has been fascinated by the cosmic upheaval brewing on the horizon of history. The upheaval is now upon us. It is within us. To some degree, it always has been. But there has been a sudden and violent shift in the affairs of the world. The winds have changed. Heaven will not be silent. Let's now join Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago, and author of A Mother's Plea, For the Winds Have Changed. Together we can pave the way for a hopeful response to the signs of our times. Hey, welcome everyone. God bless you for tuning in on a brain-wrinkling Wednesday. This is Father Tom Coyce. Um, and you are on AM 750. Uh, we're in the middle of Lent, and I got a bunch of things I want to share with you. First off, I want to invite you, or at least uh, call your attention to a very interesting person that's going to be at St. James, way out here in the uh, southwest corner of uh, our beautiful diocese. Um, we're having a mission a mission like many churches do. And our mission speaker is a, a guy by the name of Daniel Vinzant. He's a former Baptist minister. And uh, he, I got to know him uh, a long time ago. He, he was uh, instrumental in helping a woman by the name of Norma McCorvey become Catholic. Even as a Baptist minister, he was uh, guiding people to the sacraments, to the rosary, and just the, the beautiful graces that are, are to be found in, in the Catholic Church. It's, it's, such a, it's a great story. Anyways, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, March 15, 16, 17, and 18, it's going to be 7 p.m. Uh, every night except Saturday morning after our morning eight o'clock mass. Anyways, uh, you're invited to come out if you can make it. And, uh, you, you'll be, you'll be touched by his genteel ways. He's a guy from Texas. That's how he got to know Norma McCorvey. She was from Texas, of course. She bounced around, um, quite a bit actually, uh, in her, around the world, around the United States, but, um, primarily she was from Texas. And so, uh, she <clears throat> she was the 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 woman that was found by by the people that were trying to make abortion a legal right they needed a case that would go all the way to the supreme court and they found her uh and she's the the famous role in Roe versus Wade her real name is Nora McCorvey she just passed away um year and a half or so ago, maybe two years, something like that. Anyways, um, I want to I want to play a couple uh, clips from the audio book that 
contains her story and especially highlights the place that Daniel Vinzant, our mission speaker, will played in her life. Uh, and so um, she, uh, she, she did have a great deal of the book is explaining her crazy, mixed up life, sad to say. She was, she was abused. She was uh, promiscuous. She was addicted to many different things, drugs, alcohol, sex, you name it. She just had a, uh, a really rough, rough go in life. And so I guess that's part of the reason why the, the lawyers that um, wanted to find a woman who really desperately needed an abortion would would be willing to uh, go to court and fight for it. As a matter of fact, uh, what she did, she did lend her name and her her story to that famous case, which, of course, is now overturned by the famous Dobbs decision. But anyways, she she had the baby that she was carrying. Actually, she had three children uh, throughout her life with different different men, and um, and she actually um, had a a woman as a partner in a in a lesbian relationship. Uh, but in the in the midst of it all, she had three girls. Part of the story of the book, The Family Row, is the interesting interplay between those three half-sisters and their wanting to avoid their biological mother and father um, and and their desire to know their biological parents and their biological sisters, as it were. The, something in the human heart, certainly we can understand how they would long to know if somebody says you do you know you have a sister you know you have a brother they say didn't know that would be nice to meet them would it would it not of course um that's uh part of history right it's part of the uh, up and downness of life and anyways the the book uh written by uh, a guy named jonathan prager uh, i don't think he's related to dennis prager of famous radio fame. It might be, but I have to check that out. Anyways, the book is called The Family Row. And in this, here, here's a, I'll, I'll start off with this, this little clip. I think this will come through. All right. We're working with Daniel, our new tech board guy there. God bless you, Daniel, for being with us. I, let's see if uh, we tested this out earlier, then I think it will come about. This is from uh, the audio book, uh, Rovers. It's not called Rovers as White. It's called The Family Row. Here's a little explanation. Let's see if we can get this. Norma knew that another conversion would bring upon her another wave of press, but it was more than the prospect of publicity that drew her to Catholicism. Catholicism spoke to her, for if Norma wished of religion one thing, it was absolution, the assurance that she could be forgiven not only Roe, but all her trespasses, the drink and drugs and sex and relinquishment of children. She was comforted by confession. She got to feel the forgiveness, says Pavone. He adds, Catholicism uses the senses much more than the Protestants. There we go. That's a, that's a little bit of her... Uh, that's a little how the her conversion to Catholicism was related. She had been baptized in in a 
by a Protestant. As a matter of fact, um, Daniel Vincent, the speaker who's coming here to Chicago, uh, March 15th, 7 p.m., uh, that's, uh, he, he was part of Operation Rescue. If you are a longtime defender of life and uh, activist in the Right to Life movement, you'll remember something called uh, Operation Rescue. And Daniel Vinzand was on the board of Operation Rescue. Um, there were a number of other, it was a basically Protestant-run organization. Uh, Randall Terry was, I don't know if he was the president or he was one of the main moving forces. He actually has become Catholic since then, too. It's, a, it's an incredible uh, fact of history that that being strongly involved in the right to life leads you to Catholicism, which is uh, a beautiful thing. It's a difficult thing, and I think it's what gets a lot of people scared or or hesitant to to join, as it were. Somebody doesn't want to be Catholic. They don't. They they let that issue just ride and and go un, un unaddressed. I guess you could say. But anyways, so um, in this life story of Norma, Norma McCorvey, she she yearned for, she yearned for more than what the the Protestant baptism gave her. Of course, you could see what kind of uh, celebrity she became. She already had celebrity status as Jane Roe, um, and she was uh, brought to a lot of talks and a lot of conferences, a lot of speeches and what have you on the Planned Parenthood side of things. She would uh, be uh, applauded. And uh, I guess you could say that it gave her a meaning in life. It gave her an identity. It gave her a sort of fame and notoriety, which is kind of uh, nice to have. We all probably would agree with that. (laughs) Anyway, she got that notoriety. She got that fame, but she quickly felt used. Uh, she quickly felt she had a need for friendship and a need for um, love that uh, just being hauled out onto a stage and saying, um, here, here's the woman who was in a terrible situation and she would not be where she is today if it wasn't for the right to um, uh, have the abortion she'd had. So she, there, there were those who would like to hear that story she was she was there to to give it but she she started to feel she started to feel used as i say and it didn't feel comfortable and she would lash out sometimes at the very people that were were paying her to do these talks and um or be a part of things she she felt uh uh like um uh something to be used and thrown away after after she was used as it were Certainly something uh, easy to understand, that kind of feeling. But anyways, the, the, the pro-life people that were um, looking for her conversion sensed that, and um, they, they, they befriended her. You know, that's a, it's a common misunderstanding of pro-life people that they don't care for the, the woman who wants the abortion Nothing can be further from the truth. I'm, I'm so sure of that. There's a great deal of care. N- knowing that they can't solve every problem, but t- 
to help someone not have that uh, that and that abortion to make that decision is is a great sign of charity. Um, so many so many people that do pray the rosary. We're in the middle of what is called forty days for life. Once again, we pray outside abortion clinics, and there's a lot of love there, and there's there's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of um, shall we even say regret that um, uh, things have happened the way they have in in our lives and special people's lives and. Uh, it's it's kind of a soothing. It's kind of a uh, it's a healing process to try to uh, make something right that has been so wrong for so long, right? Anyways, so she does um, accept the friendship of the Protestant ministers, and uh, she's she's uh, willing to become a Christian. She she was never baptized as a little one, and so uh, they baptized her in a backyard swimming pool down there in Texas. It might have been Waco, where Daniel Vinzant is from, where it could have been any, uh, some of the other towns where they were. But anyways, um, she is baptized, and they're all very pleased and happy with her. Unfortunately, her character being what it was, um, a similar thing started to happen <clears throat> with her with the newfound Christian friends. She started to feel used by them. She would be invited to give talks and be part of um, the conferences and what on the stage. She'd and uh, she'd be applauded and welcomed as a new Christian, someone who's now pro-life. She uh, she really she had some beautiful uh, speeches that she would say how she was used and, and abused by the what is now the powerful pro-life, pro-choice industry, as it were. So uh, she had a lot of wonderful talks, but she, again, needed more than just being a voice even for a good cause. She now saw the reversal of Roe versus Wade as a good cause, but she, she, she needed more than that. I'll just add, I think we all need more than that, don't we? No matter how many good causes we jump into, we we look for um, a com- we look for a community of love. Uh, we we look to belong to a family, and we look to um, something more than uh, just being uh, a help in a good cause. Even though good causes can give you great meaning and great. Uh, identity, meaning in your life. Uh, but there's that something more, and she was yearning for that something more with the um, with her newfound Christianity. And it was, it was um, Daniel Vincent that's, that felt that yearning for something more, and she felt, he felt that she was being used a little too much. She, he saw her sort of sadness, as it were, so now I got to got to play another clip from that audio book, The Family Row. Let's see, it goes like this. Uh, debts. There we go. But Vinzant had a secret. Here, this Their is weekly a... debts. But Vinzant had a secret. Though he was Baptist by birth and had gone to Baptist college and Baptist university and Baptist seminary, he increasingly wished to be Catholic. Even as Vinzant ministered to his own evangelical flock, 
He went to Mass every week of his pastorship, stealing away on Sunday mornings to a church across town where he sat out of view in the choir loft. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, when, when that yearning for a, a deeper truth um, and the kind of grace that really Catholicism has that a lot of Protestant churches do not have, it's hard to shake it. So I'm, I'm sure Daniel will will give us a wonderful rendition of, of what went on in his heart as he moved from being a Baptist minister to a Catholic uh, layman. Uh, I'm sure it would have been hard for him to give up the pulpit as, as we, it is, it is kind of a head trip to be, preach, <laughs> to have people come and listen to you. Right. But anyways, he, even that um, we could say we, any preacher knows that they, should want more. Um, I, a priest who gives lots of sermons and, and preaches a lot, I, I enjoy that you, you know when you share something good and you feel disappointed when, when you don't give a good talk, as it were. But even after giving a great and wonderful talk, you know that, that there's something more uh, and that something more has to do with that, that bond, that, that connection to a love the connection to a family that you can love, that you can show love to, that you can be loved by. And of course, that ultimately is the Blessed Trinity, but also your 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 church friends, your family. Uh, and um, that that should never be um, lost on us. i'm I'm reading now the uh, classic book, uh, Apostolate of the Soul, Soul of the Apostolate. Um, we we have a we have an organization a mission society here at our little church and we uh, we we pass that out to all our board members and we want to be activists we want to have an effect we want to uh, help people see the rightness to right causes but that that book is a classic that reminds us that uh, without the spiritual connection to Almighty God, the relational question to Almighty God, uh, all our efforts can be, uh, can be uh, disappointing, shall we say, kind of like what St. Paul says in his famous letter, if I, if I, uh, if I have, if I, if I can um, uh, raise, if I can do all sorts of miracles, but I have no love, then I'm a clanging gong, gong uh, a noisy clashing symbol, as it were. So anyways, that uh, Daniel Vinzant sensed that in, in Norma McCorvey, and he befriends her. Not only did he, after his sermons, after his uh, Baptist uh, services, either before early in the morning he'd go to a Catholic Mass, or later in the evening he went to the Catholic Mass, he befriended uh, Norma, and would take her along with him to these Catholic masses. And she's then started to appreciate and feel the grace. And as she said, as we heard in that other clip, she, she yearned for the, the um, certainty of absolution. She yearned for the truth that her sins were forgiven. Sins, though they be like scarlet, can be washed away, right? And that that's a significant understanding of, of the grace of the sacrament of 
penance, reconciliation, that we should all appreciate and realize we, we almost always kid ourselves when we say, well, I just pray directly to God. And uh, I ask God directly for his grace of forgiveness. And so then I know I'm forgiven. That's why one of the most common themes you'll hear repeated by Protestant ministers in their sermons is they, 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 they hit home over and over again the theme that know that you are saved, know that you are forgiven, know that Christ died for your sins. They, they too know the need for knowing you're forgiven. <clears throat> so they, 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 since they have rejected the sacramental grace of a sacrament called confession, they, they still have to repeat it over and over again in their sermons, as it were. Okay, well, let's listen. Let's take our first break here. Uh, I want to relate this to something else that I, I d discovered in a lot of times in my in my listening to YouTube uh, clips and everything, I find, stumbled on something. There's an actor by the name of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Maybe you know that guy. Pretty famous uh, actor. But uh, just keep that theme of certitude um, in mind and what, what grace, uh, the truth of knowing God really forgives us, really means to us. And when it's not there, uh, what, what that means as it will. Anyways, okay, so I'm Father Tom Coyce on The Winds of Change on AM 750. You can help save a life by praying for an end to abortion in your community. Find a 40 Days for Life vigil nearby. Visit 40daysforlife.com, 40daysforlife.com to help save a life. I'm Father Tom Coyes, and you are listening to The Winds of Change. I'd like to suggest the most important thing you can partake of this Lent. I'm referring to that which contains the whole spiritual good of the church. Yes, your entire spiritual good. Listen to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1324. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. The other sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. For in the blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself, our posh." End quote. Jesus himself longingly awaits you daily in Holy Mass and in the Monstrance or Tabernacle. I'm Jim Littleton, forming FaithfulFamilies.com. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm Father Tom Coyes. You're listening to The Winds of Change. I want to make a connection between the, the amazing story of Norma McCorvey. I'll repeat the invitation to come out to St. James to hear our mission with Daniel Vinzant, a former Baptist minister. It's going to be March 15th, 7 p.m. The 16th, 7 p.m., the uh, 17th, 7 p.m., and Saturday the 18th, uh, 8 a.m. with starts with Mass. Anyways, um, it, I can't help but share this next <laughs> little clip. It's a clip from when um, Philip Seymour Hoffman received an Academy Award 
I'm one of the worst uh, when it comes to knowing famous actors and uh, what roles they play or whatever. But so, but when I find something interesting, I, I do have to look it up a little bit. He's he was in um, um, he was in the um, the Hunger Games. He was the crazy um, leader who was telling uh telling the rules to the to the um participants he was in a i think he was most famous for a movie on capote um truman capote and uh and now he's in a he was in a movie called doubt and uh he played a priest who obviously was a child abuser and uh so he's, uh, it's a, it's a theme. I, I I didn't did not see the whole movie, and I don't know that I want to <laughs> with that theme, but uh, it, it it is good for us to be aware. <laughs> Certainly, it is a huge, huge, terrible problem in our church today, and um, hopefully, 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 we are making great strides in in overcoming that. But still. One of the scars, of course, that's left with that is just the lack of trust, lack of moral authority within the church. And it brings it into question that whole idea of where do you find truth? Where do you find certainty? If you Just before the break, I played that little clip about Norman McCorvey, as, as many other converts, um, point to the fact that they were looking for certain certainty in their forgiveness of sins. So, uh, but listen to how this, uh, this is the, um, the master of ceremonies at the Academy Awards as he gives, as he gives the, uh, award to, um, what's his name? Philip Seymour Hoffman goes like this. Let's see. Deeper and deeper, with a little fanfare and a driving commitment to the truth, or to put it more simply, Seymour Philip Hoffman. In doubt... So i got to stop right there. When he's saying a driving push for the truth, um, what, he's, what he's referring to there is the truth of, that there are bad priests. <laughs> there, are, there is the terrible scourge of sex abuse of minors especially of course right and so that's that's a truth that he wants known but listen listen where he goes from there let's see again truth or to put it more simply Seymour Philip Hoffman in doubt in doubt, Philip plays Father Flynn, a role that requires the audience to constantly question what is true and what's not true. Fortunately for us, Philip, your commitment to the truth in every moment keeps us exactly where we should be, unsettled, unsure, and enthralled in our uncertainty. For that, again this year, we sing your praises. What I think is interesting about that, um, you know, putting the the terrible scourge of the sex abuse crisis in brackets. We don't want to eliminate it at all, but putting it in brackets. brackets um, listen to the attitude about truth. We 
we owe you so much for seeking the truth, but you bring us to where we need to be embracing uncertainty, <laughs> which is a strange, it's a strange oxymoron, isn't it? There, don't you sense a kind of a contradiction there? Um, let me see if I can bring that up again here. Let's see. It goes like that. Every moment keeps us exactly where we should be, unsettled, unsure, and enthralled in our uncertainty. Enthralled in our uncertainty. So I just want to point out the strange irrationality of that position. We're, we're fully behind you in exposing truth, and it brings us to where we ought to be enthralled in our uncertainty. You know, he's, he's, he's shifting from, okay, we're glad this sin of the church is exposed as something true, but there's, 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 a, there's an ignorance, there's a, there's a disbelief that truth in general that faith brings can be found. In other words, uh, what he's he's also uh, praising is the fact that here's a movie that that praises agnosticism. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. Um, if you don't want to be an atheist, you can at least be an agnostic, where you're not sure. Uh, you certainly don't want to be a believer, where there is a um, a kind of a, a certainty about it. Um, so let's see. I think I have, I think I have a clip of the that little um, that. Um, let's see. This is the scene in the movie that he played, um, Father Flynn, and it's a a debate between a priest that comes to the parish and a sister that's already there. <laughs> there's one. <clears throat> there's a scene, very beautiful scene, where Father Flynn is giving a sermon. But um, as a matter of fact, the sermon is on doubt, and uh, he says how important doubt is, and if you're doubting, you're not alone. And of course, that's true, and doubts can shake our common understanding of the world around us, but if we're not guided to firmer ground, then that sermon uh, embrace your doubts isn't really helpful unless you're going to uh, move someone from doubt to truth, as it were. Anyways, the sister is, is shown in the in the church, and she sees some of her students. Obviously, she's a teacher, and she's walking up and down the um, the the pews. She finds kids talking. She hits them on the shoulder. She she's she sees kids sleeping, and she knocks them on the head, and they're all shaken. They have that fear of sister, which, of course, I think in the, the general audience today is meant to give credence to the, the ugly side of Catholic nuns. There's too many, too many people who find, find it easy to stay away from church because when they were a child, they're Catholic teacher, especially a Catholic nun teacher, um, slapped them or was um, too much discipline. Um, now today, I think we got to say that the pendulum has swung quite the other way, is it not? Um, when 
when parents send their children to Catholic schools today, even if they're not really religious church-going Catholics, they'll sense that the public schools uh, don't have much at all in the sense of discipline. And so they'll they'll break down and say, well, at least send them to a Catholic school that they'll have some self-discipline. Anyways, that that movie was not only I'm trying to shed doubt on on the ability of Catholicism or any religion to give you truth. It's also trying to shed doubt on uh, the, the the value of of uh, self discipline or at least a little bit of uh, fraternal correction or goodness that comes from uh, a teacher hitting a child on the head when he's sleeping in church. And what I mean hitting it, she's not wailing away at him or anything. She she just taps him on the head, so to speak, and that was enough for the kid to wake up, right? So anyways, here's um, here's how it goes. Um, here's her little diatribe. And this morning, before I spoke with Mrs. Miller, I took the precaution of calling your last parish. What do you say? That's Meryl Street, by the way, I think, who takes delight in shedding negative light on Catholicism. I'm hard to sorry to say. Um, so here she goes. What do you say? Who? The pastor. I did not speak to the pastor. I spoke to a nun. You, you should have spoken to the pastor. I spoke to a nun. You know, that's not the proper route for you to have taken, sister. The church is very clear. You're supposed to go through the pastor. Why? You have an understanding, you and Hayden? No, you have no right to go rummaging through my past. You have a history. This is your third parish in five years. Call the why? pastor. Ask him why I left. It's perfectly innocent. I'm not calling the pastor. Now, I'm a good priest. Go after another child. I had another child until no. you are stuck. What, what nun did you speak to? I won't say. I've not touched a you child. You have! You have the slightest proof of anything. But I have my certainty. And on with that, I'll go to your last parish. And the There's that word certainty, right? <laughs> and uh, of course, this is, uh, it, it's hard to hear. It's hard to listen to. But you could imagine, she, she's obviously trying to uh, uh, correct a big problem. And she doesn't want uh, a child abusing priest in her church. And um, she, um, but that, that, that question of the the doubt she, she in her mind there is no doubt and and you could sort of accept that as um as her passion right and so it is so she's um she's uh challenging him challenging him in a tremendous way and you're of course rooting for her because uh child abuse is is such a terrible scourge as it were unless now you're now that uh there are, there are new movements that are trying to make it um, uh, all right or almost a, a certain kind of identity. There's, there, there, with all this identity politics going on, there's, there's, there's movements today for um, things like man-boy clubs or, or uh, minor-attracted um, uh, identity, <laughs> these kind of things. So it's getting worse and worse because... The, the problem isn't addressed 
address addressed um, properly, shall we say? And it it takes a full full court press in uh, a revitalizing moral standards and moral principles from the bottom up, from the root up, and that of course uh, would bring in other issues like the right to life or the immorality of the use of conscious, artificial contraception and all that, which is, of course, then um, uh, fought terribly and, and ferociously against for those who wouldn't want that issue to be brought up. Anyways, here, let's see how she finishes this. Before that, if necessary, I'll find a parent. Trust me, Father Flynn, I will. You have no right to act on your own. You have taken vows, obedience being one. You answer to us. Now, if you want to put the Catholic Church in a bad light, that's probably the best way to do it, right? Because nobody likes to hear uh, someone being told to stay obediently silent when you have a deep truth that you know needs to be exposed for the protection of others. But... Um, <laughs> Philip Seymour does a great job in in painting a, a terrible caricature of priests that would use that spirit of obedience uh, to to attack um, a shall we say a good intentioned sister. It's an interesting twist on on how it ends when when what she t says to him and what he asks her when goes. You have no right. To step outside the church. I will step outside the church. If that's what needs to be done, though the door should shut behind me, I will do what needs to be done. No, I'm damned to hell. You should understand that, or you will mistake me. Now, did you give Donald Miller wine to drink? Have you never done anything wrong? Notice that she says the name of the child and was abused, and uh, he doesn't answer it, but his response is uh, quite interesting. Did you, you, have you never done anything wrong? I have. A mortal sin. Sort of like the jugular question. Have you done any mortal sins? Yes. So it's, it's really, um, uh, a nip and tuck battle, as it were. So nothing is really solved, except we know that we need to address uh, the the grace that will help us avoid mortal sins. I guess you could say, right? And um, that uh, that certainly that certainly uh, is something we would all we'd all have to uh, throw ourselves into, especially during this Lenten time, right? Right? I think so. So, anywho, let's, um, I think we're a little bit overdue for our next break, right, Daniel? Uh, let us uh, do that. I got a few other clips to share with you today, we'll be, but we'll be right back. I'm Father Tom Coys on the Winds of Change on AM 750. St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy, is open 24 hours a day, seven days per week for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in the iconic monstrance. The Blessed Sacrament is reposed during the celebration of Mass and during special events. St. Stan's doors are always open for adoration. 
Come anytime, day or night. St. Stan's is located two blocks north of Division on Noble, right off the Kennedy. Visit ststanschurch.org. We are the students of St. Stan's La Tosca Academy. Your children can join them for face-to-face -face classroom instruction. Visit ststanschicago.org to find out how. And you're listening to the Winds of Change. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy. St. Stan's is an exceptional private elementary school in Chicago, serving preschool, age three and four, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, and, and first grades. We incorporate Catholic values and rigorous academic social-emotional learning, Chinese, Spanish, STEM, and more, providing our students with leadership and life skills to transform our world. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy is conveniently located one block north of Division on Noble, just off the Kennedy Expressway. To schedule your tour, visit ststanschicago.org. ststanschicago.org. Hello, thanks for listening to The Winds of Change. I'm Father Tom Coyes. This theme of uh, certainty and doubt and um, where, where we find such things is uh, it's a very religious theme because uh, it, the ultimate truth about life must be something more than, than what we find here in this world. There, there must be a truth that uh, is eternal. Doesn't that make some sense that we yearn for? We, if we didn't, if we didn't yearn for it, we might not even look for it, right? And and the fact that we yearn for a truth um, is is evidence that God will will provide it, or that is, a, if if God is good, then then God can help us find it. It's sort of like, what kind of God would we worship if we if we were created with the desire for thirst, for drink, we all, we all were very, very thirsty all the time, and yet there was no way to quench our thirst, right? That would be a cruel God to make us that way. Some people use that excuse as a reason for <laughs> infidelity or even um, promiscuous behavior and uh, say, well, God created me as a sexual being, and therefore I have to fulfill it. God, God wouldn't give me these desires if, um, if, the, if um, He didn't mean me to fulfill them. Anyways, in the epistemological part of our life—that's a fancy word for our knowledge, our knowledge base, how we learn things. Epistemology, the the study of knowing. <laughs> in the world of knowing a truth, we could say that our very desire to know the, to know truth is an example that God planted that desire in, in our hearts. And if God is good, there must be a, a truth to know, and we can find it. To have planted a desire for truth in our, in our hearts with no ability to find it would be a very cruel God, would it not? That's the way uh, we sometimes see it. And yet that's, that's where um, I think people who are, quote, liberal or progressive like to um, repeat over and over again the the um, the refrain. There's no black and white. Everything is gray. 
which in their minds means there's no real, there's no absolute truth. Everything is uh, relative. And so uh, they have to keep repeating that in order to assure someone that that desire for finding truth uh, is, is, is a sort of a, a fake desire. You, you shouldn't, you shouldn't even have that desire. I think that's what pushes people uh, in their conversion, um, like Norman Corvey saw, like um, Daniel Vinzant. They they had that sense of uh, a truth, and so they, I'm sure, the ones who would keep someone away from Catholicism would be someone who would uh, rest assured, tell the people, I, I assure you that there is no truth. Just, just um, be content with the gray um, opinions that you have. Okay, now there's another there's another movie clip that I want to share with you because it's coming out pretty soon. I think it's March eighth. It'll be in theaters. It's a movie called uh, Cabrini, a story about the Italian sister uh, who came to New York and saw the the terrible suffering going on and uh, tried to do something about it. And so uh, this theme of uh, certainty comes through again, and, and the, the theme of a woman um, being the hero, of course, even, even in, in context of, of uh, the hierarchy that was, turns into the enemy, as it were. That's a, I, it, it, I, have, I haven't seen the whole movie yet, but that may be part of the story because she probably did um, get um, initial pushback for her for her um, efforts to reach out to the suffering of uh, children especially and, and all immigrants she was an Italian and ministered especially to Italian immigrants who were low on the totem pole at that time and so they were um, uh, she had to fight for their dignity, as it were. It seems like every generation has to have something like that, does it not? Anyways, here's a little clip from um, the, the trailer of Cabrini. It goes like this. Let's see if I... If I made you the first woman ever to lead an overseas mission, the whole world would look to you as proof of what woman can or cannot. So that's the Pope. She, she's... She went to Rome to see if she could start her community. And the Pope was saying, well, wait a minute. If I'm going to name a woman as the head of a new uh, community, the world's going to be watching. And if you succeed, it will show the world how powerful women are. If you fail, it will show what women can't do. <laughs> so again, the, the, these themes are all wound together, aren't they? Not accomplish. If we are to build an empire of hope, my sisters, it seems we must first conquer New York. She says, she's talking to her few sisters that are gathered around her. If we are going to be a community of hope, it looks like we have to conquer New York first. Welcome to America. If you are a woman, push you around. Italian woman. Is that how you are your church? 
It shows the uh, bishop saying, we want you out of New York. She's causing too much trouble by trying to defend the dignity of the, the poor uh, Italian immigrants. There's the kicker. Again, I, I, I feel like um, us men um, are often slapped around, unfortunately. Of course, being slapped around by a saint is, is different than um, some someone else. <laughs> Mother Caprini did. She say, when he said, oh, you would have made a good man, uh, which again is exploiting the um, chauvinistic attitudes of years gone by. And she says, no, I don't want to. Men can never do what we do. And uh, there, there is a great deal of wisdom in that. Uh, she, she was um, trying to be a mother to so many. There's a beautiful, touching scene in there where she's talking to a little boy, and he says, "Well, my dad committed suicide, and my mother died of typhoid fever, and now I'm an orphan." So she's trying to help him along. And uh, goodness gracious, that, that that's a kind of love that man or woman can show, but uh, she she certainly is teaching a good lesson that uh, women are especially good at that caring and nurturing uh, attitude that was needed so desperately, right? So anywho, that's, uh, that's coming out next week. I think it's March 8th that you'll be able to find uh, Cabrini in theaters around you. So and speaking of good things that are out there. I, I have to encourage you to try to get to see The Chosen. Uh, season four is now out, and uh, it was in theaters. Uh, if you remember, the movie Chosen was uh, only watched on, on video. You had to sign up and get the app. And uh, I enjoyed season one, two, and three, and now season four is they're trying to make a little money, I guess, uh, by putting it in the theaters. Try to, try to get to that. Um, I just saw... Season four, episodes one, two, three, four, five, and six, and seven and eight are out now too. It's so well done. the The dialogue um, is it's so well written. What What is interesting about it, you know, I I like most of you. I'm sure know most of the stories of the Bible, and so just seeing the Bible acted out in a movie is beautiful. But it's stuff we're all familiar with. What's neat about the Chosen series is that the stuff in the Bible only pops in every now and then. Most of the story is, is, is written like in between the scenes that are in the Bible. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, and then you, 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 get, you get a snippet from the Bible uh, every now Oh, that's why. That's where this is going. Uh, there was just the scene um, where, uh, remember the story in the Bible where the Roman... Uh, centurion or Roman um, captain, whatever rank he is actually called, he wants 
Jesus to cure his his he calls it his son. Um, first, he calls him his slave um, because in the movie he admits that he's he's a he's a son, but not of his wife, and so he's, he uses that sense of shame um, and embarrassment to illustrate that he knows he's unworthy um, and that Jesus would go into a Roman's house. Anyways, so that that character was the same Roman um, officer who was working with Matthew before Matthew left his tax collecting post. Anyways, get to see uh, the chosen. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of good uh, Catholic film and um, and uh, podcasts out there. I hope you realize and I hope you appreciate Winds of Change. We we have to constantly um, keep ourselves informed and I guess you could say entertained a little bit. Here we're, It's an entertainment of sorts, but primarily it's a strengthening of our, our faith. And that's one of the things I know all of us here on the Winds of Change uh, strive to do, right? So, um, and... Daniel, let's take that third break, and then I'll, I'll end with a, a couple other interesting <laughs> clips that I want to share today. So I'm Father Tom Coyes on the Winds of Change on AM 750. Sometimes it's tough to hear winds of change over the air. What with tall buildings, power lines, and other static. Now you can hear winds of change anywhere, anytime, or on any device. When Winds of Change is on the air, live, Monday through Friday, noon to one, go to ststandschurch.org. Scroll down to the Winds of Change tile and click on the Listen Live button. For Winds of Change podcasts, click on Listen to Episodes or visit the Winds of Change Facebook page. I'm Father Tom Coys, and you are listening to the Winds of Change. St. Stanislaus Koska. The Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy is open 24 hours a day, seven days per week for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament in the iconic monstrance. The Blessed Sacrament is reposed during the celebration of Mass and during special events. St. Stan's doors are always open for adoration. Come anytime, day or night. St. Stan's is located two blocks north of Division on Noble, right off the Kennedy. Visit ststandschurch.org. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Father Tom Coyce on the Winds of Change. Let me finish with um, another clip that I uh, want to share with you. I was listening. One of the guys I like to tune into is um, a great Catholic speaker by the name of uh, Ralph Martin. Maybe some of you know Ralph Martin. He was he was very big in the charismatic movement of 20, 30 years ago. I think he was um, uh, part of the Michigan, um, the state of Michigan. There was at the University of Michigan. There, there really was a surge of a charismatic spirit, a charismatic movement. Anyways, Ralph Martin was part of that, and he's been um, on EWTN and all sorts of shows. He's a he's a good guy to to. No, and he's he's not um, uh, known for his uh, uh, fire-breathing uh, 
radical conservatism, you could say. He's just trying to be a, an authentic Catholic. He has, uh, he has a very interesting little episode here when he's referring to um, Vatican II and what he sees as something we need to correct about it. I think he's, he's right on target with this. Let me see if I can get this here for you. Useful and important as Vatican II is, it really had a very significant weakness that has contributed heavily to the post-Vatican II confusion. What is that weakness? I would say that there was a serious misjudgment about the readiness of the world to respond to and accentuate the positive approach in our pastoral strategy. What do I mean? I think he's right on target. We, we could meditate on this a bit. I could, is it the a mistake of Vatican II was a serious overestimating of the world's readiness to respond to the more positive delivery of the faith. In other words, Vatican II is trying to turn us from just a, um, a negative presentation of the faith. Be good or you're going to hell. Everyone's sinning, so um, don't, don't, um, don't expect to get out of purgatory. <laughs> Anyways, you'd want to talk about it. And I see this as a, a very key thing in the spirituality of a lot of Catholics today. You're, if you're, if you're allergic to negativity, you, you're yearning for the positive vibes that what you would get in church. And I think Ralph Martin here is is right onto something, where um, the Vatican II overestimated the readiness of the world. One of the phrases associated with Vatican II is uh, Pope um, John the Twenty Third said, "I had to open the windows to let air, fresh air, come into the church," and certainly that was a need. You know, if you, 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 it gets stuffy if you don't engage and just deal with the world out there. Um, it can be stuffy, but that overestimating of the willingness of the world. We needed to appreciate the, the fight, the enemies, the, the obstacles towards everything. So anyways, I think that music means our hour is up. Thank you very much for listening and staying with us here. I'm, uh, I'm Father Tom Coyce. You're listening to The Winds of Change. What's there to say when the world makes no sense? Do we search deeper truths or sit on the fence? Can you see? Can you see? Can you see? The winds have changed. We marvel and flatter such meaningless thought. The shell appears strong, but the inside is right. It's time to be stirred, the time.